This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand many of our listeners may not agree with all of our viewpoints. However, we hope you can bear with us in order to hear unadulterated true crime cases. We are not licensed therapists, nor are we able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source material included for each episode. Now Now let's get get weird. Welcome to All the Sins Worldwide, the sister podcast of All the Sins of Wisconsin. I am here with my co-host, Jess. How are you doing, Jess? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. And I don't know if I'm quite ready to be doing this case yet because it's incredibly gruesome. So while we're on that, I do want to give a content warning and a massive trigger warning to this case. I heard about this case the first time on TikTok and I was like, holy hell, this is some depraved stuff. Like, it's something that I thought, how is this not covered more? Mm -hmm. Like, you would think that crazy, massive cases like this would have a lot more coverage to it than it does. Mm -hmm. But I had never heard of it. Granted, yes, it did happen in the 1970s, 1980s. But even so, I feel like it would have something out there more that people would know about this. Right. True crime was definitely a thing back then and coverage was definitely a thing back then. So mm-hmm. even I think throughout time, the the crazy stories that don't get a lot of media coverage is still insane to me. Oh God, yeah. Well, I'm excited that you're starting off our first podcast with such a heavy hitter. I'm sure that all of our sinners are strapped in officially. Make sure that you are in a good place to receive this information uh Mm -hmm. grab yourself a cocktail if that's what you drink grab yourself a coffee make sure that you are in a good space mentally and here we go so the first case that we're going to be doing on all the sins worldwide we are traveling over to canada for this first one and so the case i'm talking about is the case of rock terrio and the ant hill kids cult so Terrio, along with Robert Picton, Clifford Olson, and Paul Bernardo, has been considered one of Canada's most notorious criminals since the 1980s. And if you guys don't know who Robert Picton is, you need to get on that because he is both disturbing, disgusting, and infamous. And again, I really want to stress that this case is not for the faint-hearted, and it's really horrific. And there's a lot of things involving physical harm and torture, sexual assault and murder. So a trigger warning is very much now in effect here. If you're choosing to continue to listen, just you've been warned. Prepare yourself. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna jump in it. So Rock Terrio was born on May 16th, 1947 in Quebec, Canada, into a French Canadian family. So not a ton is really known about him with his childhood. But Terrio has described his childhood as being an abusive one. Although Rock described his parents, particularly his father, as abusive, his mother denies ever having beaten him at all. And it was said that when Rock was a child, his father made him and his brothers play a so-called game. No. Where Rock, his dad, and his brothers 
they would sit around the kitchen table wearing heavy boots, probably steel toes, okay. most likely, and they would take turns kicking each other in the shins. What? How is that? How is that fun times? I don't know. <laughs> oh. I could not tell you. <laughs> but being kicked in the shin already hurts like hell. Oh, for sure. But can you imagine it being done multiple times with steel-toed boots? I can't even imagine me getting tripping on my shin. Like, no, I, like, I don't want that at all. It makes me cringe just thinking about the whole idea of it. Like, Absolutely. So Rock was considered to be a very intelligent and charismatic individual during his adolescence and teenage years. But despite being considered so incredibly smart, mm-hmm. he dropped out of school in seventh grade and began teaching himself the Old Testament in the Bible. Mm. So he grew up with Catholicism in his family. His mother was devoutly religious, and she was a member of a group called the White Berets. It's a Catholic fascist side branch of the Depression-era movement is what they considered it to be. And between Mass and his father's forced door-to-door literature distribution campaigns, so basically the same sort of thing that you would find in the Jehovah's Witness. Yes. So the same kind of thing. And Rock absolutely hated it, hated it. Mm -hmm. And he was picked on frequently by kids in the neighborhood because he had to do it all the time. He developed an abiding hatred for Catholicism, particularly that, and organized religion in general. Mm -hmm. So he was just not for it Mm -hmm. after all of that. So in 1967, when he was 21, we're going to jump forward a little bit. Uh, Rock married 17-year-old Francine Grenier, and I just want to point out, too, a lot of these names are French, and I apologize if I butcher any of these French pronunciations. I'm trying my best. Yes. And Francine and Rock had two children together, and he supported his family by creating and selling wood carvings. He would make things like clocks, beer mugs made from trees, and similar items like that. That's pretty cool. And during this time, Rock also developed severe stomach ulcers, which had to be taken out surgically, Mm. which were considered to be extremely serious surgeries, especially back in the late 60s, early 70s. And he later developed complications from that. So he was, as I put it, really riding the struggle bus with those ulcers. The persistent discomfort of his digestive system that he was feeling caused a certain irritability in Rock, like He also started becoming obsessed with medicine, and he taught himself a lot about anatomy. And Mm. with this knowledge, he started, quote unquote, preaching, it was more like lecturing, Mm -hmm. everyone around him about all the medical information he was learning. So to help alleviate the excruciating pain he felt with the ulcers and the surgeries that he had, Rock started to heavily drink alcohol and resort to drugs which ultimately led to an addiction Mm. and a further descent into irritable and erratic behavior. And to make matters worse, he and his family started to struggle financially because their wood carving business started to decline and they didn't get many sales. So they were struggling financially. And around that same time, Rock started having an affair with another woman. Come on. To which eventually Francine said, I'm done. I'm out. And they divorced after seven years. And the other woman, her name was Giselle, became Rock's next wife not long after that. Eventually, he had forsaken Catholicism altogether Mm. and converted to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
and with that adopted the denomination's beliefs, which encouraged a healthy lifestyle free of unhealthy foods and tobacco and alcohol. And ironically, after joining the Seventh-day Adventist church, he started going door-to-door campaigning for this church like he used to for the White Berets growing up. What a, what a loop. He made full circle on what he hated to do, and now he's doing it you know, freely. Mm-hmm. That made no sense to me. And I was like, okay, whatever, man. Each their own, <laughs> yeah. I guess. <laughs> and the members of the church that he was a part of described Rock as being charismatic and a brilliant salesman. Like people he was around growing up used to regard him as as well. Okay. And he ultimately gained a ton of followers because of this. And this just made his ego just go straight up. I'm sure. Like, his ego was so high, and he just ate up all that attention that he was getting. Well, I mean, when where he started from, getting picked on, getting, probably not having a lot of friends, and then him doing it a second time around about something he's passionate about and being good at it, and mm-hmm. then seeing that, like, he's actually having some traction in it, mm-hmm. I'm sure, I mean... To me, it would be confidence, and for somebody that has maybe some bad blunt in them, it'd be more of an ego. It definitely would be. So there was a day that he went on a solo hiking trip up in the mountains, and when he came back, he started proclaiming to all of his newfound followers that he had a vision from God, and he somehow was a messenger of God now. That's a red flag. Yeah. Red flag number one, there's going to be lots of them. (laughs) So as many cult leaders do, he started warning his followers of an upcoming apocalypse and that he had the power to heal people. Mm -hmm. He first tried to test his ability to heal with a woman named Geraldine who had leukemia that was a part of his group. Oh, sir, you are not certified for that. Mm -mm. She was already receiving proper treatment at a hospital, but Rock convinced Geraldine's husband that he could heal her more than the hospital ever could. No. No. Not feeling that. No. So he took Geraldine to Rock's clinic. He had a clinic and told her that grape juice and organic food would cure her leukemia. So the name was not unfamiliar to them when it started coming up later. Okay. And out of all the people that he had... Following him, there were 13 adults and 10 children who made up the very first group of followers in the cult. And because the police knew about what happened with Geraldine Mm -hmm. and the part that Rock played in it, he convinced his followers that they needed to leave and go build their commune in a totally different place where the police couldn't find them. Nobody knew who they were. So they eventually settled in an immersely remote mountainside. So they ran away from where they were, found a remote mountainside, and Rock deemed it the Eternal Mountain, is what he called it, which became the main camp for his commune. Anytime I hear something like that, I genuinely get scared because it could go, there's no law to them Mm -hmm. when they're so secluded. And then they start to, the people that are trapped in it, and I'm going to say trapped because you uproot your life and you move and you you form a community 
so you don't want to leave and then they start doing really bad shit to you so then you can't leave so mm-hmm. how horrifying is that so there's nowhere for you to go and you are stuck mm-hmm. so rock actually made all of his followers build this entire camp from scratch all the cabins they had to put up all the tents they found the food the works mm-hmm. everything started it from the ground up wow and what was rock doing he was watching them do it I'd be so pissed. He wasn't even <laughs> doing anything to help them. He sat and he just watched. I'd be so. I'd be like, no, I'm not doing anything else until I see you work. Mm-hmm. This is your idea. Yeah, he was definitely starting to become more of a quote unquote boss rather than a leader, because mm, okay. a leader would join in. Right, the boss they lead. just delegates. Right. And he had the audacity to make a statement claiming that they all looked like ants. While they were working. I was wondering where the name comes from. That's where it comes from. Gotcha. So he eventually named them the Ant Hill Kids based on the fact that all of his cult members looked like ants while they were building. That's so offensive. I wouldn't like that. so mean. Yeah. He had a very strong hold over his followers. Like very strong. He rationed all of their food and gave them even less food when they complained about how much food they had. So if they weren't getting enough and they complained about it, mm-hmm. he would just take away more. So then they had even less. Oh God. And he stripped them of their real names and instead gave them all biblical names with himself being given the name Moses since he believed he was the reincarnation of Moses. Mm-hmm. He made them wear matching tunics to represent equality and their devotion to the commune. And... And over time, Rock's behavior started to become even more erratic, and he began to move away from being a motivational leader and becoming increasingly more totalitarian. Mm -hmm. And he started drinking heavily again, despite previously giving it up and telling his followers that they weren't allowed to drink alcohol. Right. He started delivering long, rambling sermons, and if someone fell asleep... He would smack them in their heads with a four-inch thick club. Oh, God. Uh, Yep. And when one of his wives, her name is um, Maurice, I apologize if that pronunciation is incorrect, she was pregnant at the time. She ate two more pancakes than Rock said that she was allowed to eat. So he punched her in the side and broke two of her ribs. While she is pregnant. While she is pregnant. Oh, what a monster. Literally, this guy just makes me sick. And everything, basically, everything that Rock told his followers they weren't allowed to do, he would just do all he wanted. And a ton of the crazy and violent stuff he did to his followers happened while he had been drinking. Of course. So he had been very drunk during a lot of those times that things like that happened. And it was just crazy. So jumping to the late 70s, the rules that the commune were forced to abide by, believe it or not, started to become more and more irrational. And two of those rules were that all contact with the outside world was completely banned and no one was allowed to speak to one another unless Rock was present. Oh my God. Almost like he wanted to make sure he knew what they were all talking about. Right. No secrets here. And how how alone must you feel in all of this? Like you can't you can't reach out to the outside world, which in cults it's like number one rule, right? Mm-hmm. 
but you can't even talk to each other and this is a very small community yeah and based on the definition of a cult leader rock had complete authority without any accountability for his actions he defined what was right and wrong within the commune he deliberately isolated the cult members from the outside world no member was allowed to have contact with anyone that rock did not approve of and there was no such thing as privacy for the members of this commune either I don't like any of that. So their lives literally are not even theirs anymore. Exactly. They all belong to Rock at this point. So in February of 1979, this was the time that Rock had been preaching to his commune that the world was going to end. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So this was, this was quote unquote doomsday. Uh Uh-huh. And lo and behold, the world did not end. We are here. And He tried to come up with a story that, quote, it's tricky business trying to decipher the messages given to him by God since time moves differently for God than it does for people on earth, end quote. While there were cult members that believed what he was saying, there were others that were calling his claims, frankly, a load of bullshit. Right. And they began to question him. And naturally, like they would do, especially if there's a claim that, hey, the world's going to end on this day Mm -hmm. and it doesn't happen. Right. So in order to maintain the control and dominance over his commune, he started really resorting to violence to get this control back. Mm -hmm. And this is where the really gruesome and crazy stuff starts happening. So here I'm going to issue another warning of content and triggers because things are about to get pretty nuts. I'm sure our centers appreciate that. Yes, there's going to be quite a few of them in here. So Rock started to resort to physical punishment for members of his commune that tried to defy him and his rule. If members wanted to leave, he would hit them with a hammer or a belt. Other times he would suspend them from the ceiling and enlist other members to pluck out their body hairs individually. That's so nasty. Individually. Oh my God. He would also love hearing members inflict pain on themselves. He had ordered them to break their own legs (gasps) with sledgehammers. Oh, my God. Sitting on burning hot stoves. Oh, my God. Shooting each other in the shoulder. Or eating dead rats. (gasps) Oh, my God. I'm telling you, I told you this one was going to be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I told you it's it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. And in order for his followers to prove their loyalty to him, he would force them to cut off other members' toes with wire cutters. Oh, come on. Yeah. And and again, another trigger warning here. He even went as far as to nail the children to trees by their clothes and have the other children throw stones at them. How dare you? God, I know. It made me so sad reading that. If you could see me right now, I am not well. No, neither am I. I'm very disturbed. And he even went as far as to sexually abuse these children. I was waiting for that because it's very common and I was hoping it wasn't, but I've seen it coming and I hate it. Mm -hmm. God, I hate it so much. Like just reading all of this just makes me feel so nauseated. Yeah. But it's something that I have never heard of, and I'm not sure if any of our other sinners have heard of. Right. 
So I, I mean, I've never heard of it. Yeah. And I really wanted to bring this to light because this is absolutely incredibly gruesome and crazy. The morning after a lot of these horrific events happened, Rock would often break down crying in regret for the things that he had done and the things he ordered others to do, especially because when it happened, he was drunk. And then in the morning, he was sober and right. realized what he had done. Right. And all this overwhelming guilt started to hit him. Mm-hmm. And one of Rock's wives, her name is Gabrielle Levaye, did not want to see any more of her children suffer. So when her son, Elazar, was born, she left him outside to die in freezing temperatures to keep him away from Rock's abuse. That was merciful. In her eyes. Yes. I don't advocate for that. Oh, hell no. But I see where she's coming from. She thought in her head that would have been a better, you know, existence right off the bat. Just don't even have to deal with all this crazy bullshit they're all dealing with. Mm -hmm. So I can see where she has no options why she did that. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Of course. But luckily, another child escaped from the commune and alleged physical and sexual abuse to the Ontario Children's Aid Society. Oh, wow. So they came in and seized nine of those children who were born in the commune and placed them in foster homes. So nine of those kids were free and out and in foster care. Granted, I know that in a lot of areas, the foster system is not always the best but it definitely was better than where they were. A raving lunatic, mm-hmm. raping and abusing them? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. For sure. And it was about three years before the authorities finally caught wind of what he was doing in the camp and the horrific things he was doing to them. Like, they kind of had him on their radar after Geraldine. Right. But now it took three years for them to really be like, oh my God this guy is a psycho. Like this guy is pure evil. evil. Yeah. Like we need to do something about this. That's what I was thinking before, because you mentioned that, okay, at this point he's on the radar, but what happened then? Like, why wouldn't they be like, well, this guy was, you know, not normal. And he did something horrific. And we said mental note, Mm -hmm. check on this guy. And then boom, they just kind of like forgot. That sucks. Yeah, that's so crazy and ridiculous, and it frankly makes me sick that Mm -hmm. they pretty much left him off the radar for a while until this started happening. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, that's where we're going to end for part one of the case of Rock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids. And believe me when I say that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, we are far from over, people. No, where is more? So in our next episode, we'll take a deeper look into some of the specific members of the camp and what they endured while they were there. Oh, God. Um, Rock's final arrest, Mm -hmm. finally. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, at the end of it, the bastard's death. Oh, okay. So that is where we will be for episode number two, part two of our first All the Sins Worldwide case. Yes. What an incredible start to this podcast. Thank you for bringing this to light. And 
We hope that you tune in next week for the remainder of this case. We know that it's a lot to swallow, but we think that it's really important to talk about these types of cases because people went through this, people lived through this, Mm -hmm. and it's about the victims. It's about the survivors. That's why we talk about it. We don't talk about it because of the the rocks of the world. Mm -hmm. We talk about it because of the people that went through all of that. They deserve light. Definitely. And we love you, sinners. We love you guys. Bye. Bye. All the Sins Worldwide was written, recorded, edited, and produced by our co-hosts and creators, Jess and Mims. We truly want to thank our listeners, collaborators, friends, and family that continuously support us and for all the love we receive. If you enjoy our show, please give us a glowing review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we're up to. And email us your sinner tales at allthesinsworldwide at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins Worldwide are available wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and like us on your favorite streaming platform.